Over the last several weeks, we've examined the reasons that the Bavli became, came to be viewed as the primary text of Halakha, despite the fact that, in theory, it began as a compilation of important precedent in interpreting the primary text, namely the Torah. Last week, we discussed the practical role of Tanakh, or Chumash, in determining Halakha. Today, I want to turn to parts of the Gemara that, while they may be found in canonical sources, may themselves not be of the same authority as the halachic components of the same text. Specifically, I want to talk about the role of Agadah, or Agadata, in Psak. Now, Agadah classically refers to the non-halachic components of the Gemara, or the Midrash, and the like. And as Ravram ben Arambam notes in his introduction to learning Agadah, there are many different varieties. There are Agadot that are meant to be interpretations of Psukim, there are Agadot that are meant to be inspirational stories, there are Agadot that are collections of homiletics, Drashot, and the like. There are ones that are meant to convey philosophical or metaphysical truths. However one divides them, it is clear that these texts, taken in general as the non-halachic components, are not going to be identical for halachic purposes to legal texts. Now, I, w- I should distinguish before we move into this that while Ravram ben Arambam knows that there are certain stories that if you wanted to, you could refer to them as Agadah, um, they're more properly referred to as Maserav, meaning records of cases in which members of Chazal actually performed certain mitzvot in a particular way that followed or reflected a particular halachic position. Now, obviously, those areas of Agadah, or non-halacha, or stories, are in fact halachic. When the Gemara discusses the fact that a particular member of Chazal followed a halachic position, that is meant to influence the way we rule on the halachic issue. What we're talking about are the clearly uh, non-legal components of the text, meaning the parts of the text that at face value are coming to teach a moral lesson, inspire, talk about miracles, uh, and the like. What role do those have in halakha? Because again, especially those which are in the Bavli, they are clearly found in the canonical source, and as we've seen before, all of Psak begins with the canonical sources, and again, we've already described the ways in which the Bavli went from being viewed as a collection of interpretations of the of the Torah to basically for functional purposes, for practical purposes, the basic text of halachic adjudication. But how do we view within that text the Agadah, the non-obviously legal components of the Gemara? Here, as with everything else, you find a range of positions. The discussion really begins with a statement that appears in several places in slightly different forms, in the Yerushalmi, in other places, that ain't limedin min ha'agadot. That we do not derive halacha from agada. Um, or as it appears in peya, ain't limedin lo min ha'agadot velo min ha'tosachot ela min ha'talmud. We don't derive halacha from the agadata nor from the tos- for, from the non-canonized Tanitic material, but from the Talmud, which presumably in context refers to the halachic components of the Talmud. The post can divide in how you take statements of this sort. 
And again, this the, the statement I just read is from Peah. But you have similar statements in the Yerushalmi and Chagiga in the end of the first parak. Ein marin lo min alachot velo min agadot velo min atosefet and element of Talmud. In the Yerushalmi and Horiot, Rabbi Levi Yativ Darash Isha Shera Elokim Yitain lo Oshin Achazim veKavod velo Yeshlitena Elokim leAchal Mimenu. So who is this person that Kohelet describes, which has much riches but is not given permission by God to eat it? Zebal Agada. This is the person who is a, an expert of Agadah, who does not permit or forbid, deem something pure or impure. So how do we take these statements? There are a series of poskim, starting with the Geonim, Shonim, going through the Achronim, who take this exactly as it sounds. Namely, that while the Bavli may be a primary source of halachic information, of halachic material, the non-halachic components of that are, exactly as they sound, non-halachic. And therefore, they cannot be brought into conversation when we are discussing halacha. So, for example, Rav Haigon and the Otzer Agonim and Chagiga writes, The words of Agadah are not Accepted tradition. Everyone said and expounded what they wanted. They said possibilities, things that could be said, but not things which were set and precise. And therefore, we don't rely on them. Similar comments are found in Rishiragaon, in Megillat Starim. And in fact, many poskim followed this position. Rebbevadi Yosef summarizes many of these in Yabi Omer, Chelek Aleph, Yoridea, Siman, Dalid. Um, there is also an excellent article about the role of Agadah in general by Yitzchak Nafka called Al Halacha Agadah. The closing sections of that article deal with our question, with the question of the role of Agadah in Psak. Uh, Rav Moshe Tzuriel has an article on the topic in which he expounds the, rel- the, the weight of non-halachic texts in halacha, examining the role of Agadah, examining the role of Kabbalah, which is a subject that we will return to. And if one surveys the positions, one finds, as I said, many poskim who believe that there is no role for Agadic texts in halachic decision-making. So, for example, the Shvut Yaakov and the Ber Hetev both take this position that under no circumstances are you allowed to take halachic uh, positions from Agadic material. And this is indeed, as I said, one trend that is found in the poskim. However, there are other poskim who believe that at least under limited circumstances, one is allowed to um, learn halachic lessons from the Agadah. So, for example, many poskims say that it is not true, that while it is clearly the case that on a hierarchical scale, the halachic components of a Gemara are more important then the Agatha components for practical purposes. And if there is a seeming contradiction, so then we will always defer to the halachic text. 
when it comes to a case in which there is no contradiction, so then you can or should follow the position of the of the Agadah. This, for example, is the position of Rabbi Shua Pick Berlin in his Tosvot Rishon Lezion. This is quoted by Rabbi Yitzchak Nafka in the article that I mentioned before, where he summarizes follows, This rule is only in a case in which the Agada either goes against the Gemara directly or goes against the Klale Apsak. And here, he refers not just to Agadot found in the Bavli, he refers to Agadot um, even found in the Midrashim. Um, others suggest that perhaps what emerges from the Agadic text won't be as binding, but it can be the basis for Minagim that are at least um, halachically important. Um, if you look in the Sefer of Ramosha Zachuta, in, his, in the Sefer Kol Ramaz on the Mishnayot, he takes the similar position to Rishua Pik Berlin. He writes, It's not always true that we do not derive halacha from the Midrash. That's only Hainu Sheish Begmara Hefech Midrash. Avok She'ein Beshum Makom Gilui if there is no explicit text against the uh, the even the Agadah found in the Midrash, then of course you can then you can in fact follow the Midrash. And he notes that Rabbeinu Tam, in several places, does seem to go in this direction. So, for example, Rabbeinu Tam ruled Rabbeinu Tam was very insistent that you could not eat from between Mincha and Mariv on Shabbat because of reasons found in the Midrash. And therefore, these Achronim note that it is indeed plausible to accept Agadic text, even those not found in the Bavli, as long as they don't contradict an explicit piece in the Bavli or, or go against the Klali Psak of the Bavli. Another possibility is that which is found in the Maritz Chiyud. The Maritz Chiyud, in his Sefer, Darkei Hora'ah, suggests that one must distinguish not between cases in which the Agadah in question contradicts a halachic text in the Bavli, but rather he distinguishes between sources of the Agadah, meaning there are Agadic material, non-halachic material, found in Midrashim, and there is non-halachic material found in the Bavli. Amaratzchiyot suggests that the limitation of following Agadah refers specifically to Agadot that are not found in the Bavli. To justify this, he notes that the statements that we began with, that one should not rule on the basis of Agadic texts, are found in the Yerushalmi. Now, the Yerushalmi preceded the Bavli. Therefore, he suggests that the Yerushalmi statement is referring to the Agadic materials which they were refer- which they were aware of, namely the Agadic material found in Midrashim and the like. However, Agadot, which are found in the Bavli, which come after the Yerushalmi, are not bound by that principle, and in fact, take the status of the Bavli with all the force that we've discussed in the last several weeks, simply by virtue of the fact that it's found in the Bavli. So to read a few of his 
comments, he writes as follows. Yerushalmi ruled, not only can you not paskin halacha based on Agadah, but it's the same thing is true of Tosefta, for example. Or halachot, even though Tosefta are halachic texts, halachot are halachic texts, Therefore, the problem for the Yerushalmi must not have been that the, issue, that the text in question is not fundamentally legal, because these are legal texts. The reason was that these texts at the time of the Yerushalmi had not yet gone through the process, the editing process, the relevant processes by which it is accepted as halacha. And therefore, he says, that's only to skip down, he says, What we're referring to when we say you can't paskin from Agadah are those that are found in the Midrashim. That's what you don't learn from. And he says, is that the case? Or is it even? Or the ones in the Bible, and he says, um, and he continues, and therefore he says, All these limitations are only on text before the Yerushalmi, including maybe the Agadot in the Yerushalmi, but anything found in the Bavli, which was published after the Yerushalmi, is not limited by that rule. And therefore he says, Any Agadah that is found in the Bavli, meaning our Talmud, is, again, These are fundamental principles in Halacha. And therefore, the limitation is only on those non-halachic texts found in Midrash. And then he notes that you can't simply reject all the Agadot because there are so many Halachot, even from perhaps Midrashim, which, which did in fact make their way into um, halachic discourse. So what we've seen so far is a range of positions. that The, the notion that you cannot rule based on Agadah, you have those who take this, Pshuto Kimashma'o, like the Ber Hetev, and others, like the Shvut Yaakov, and say that you are never allowed to rule in accordance with Agadic texts. And therefore, based on our discussions in the previous weeks, those texts which we, we deem as authoritative in the Bavli, whether because of acceptance, um, as the Beit Yosef had discussed, or the Kesh Mishnah had discussed, or because we assume that they have the halachic truth, as the Chazanish discussed, that refers only to halachic texts, but that authority is not granted to the Agadot, even those found in the Bavli. At the other extreme, you have those poskim who say that as long as an Agadah, Again, an Agadah found either in the Bavli or even in the Midrashim, as long as it doesn't contradict the position of 
the Bavli or the Kali Psak of the Bavli, you are allowed to accept that Lahalacha. And then you have distinctions such as those of the Maratzchiyud that it's not just about the kind of text you're talking about, meaning halachic or non-halachic, nor is it simply about whether it contradicts or not. The question is, is it from the Bavli or is it not from the Bavli? Any text that's in the Bavli is binding by, sim- by simply by virtue of the fact that it is in the Bavli. Other non-halachic texts found in the Midrashim and the like are not binding. Perhaps they can be brought in as support in cases in which the Bavli does not contradict. Um, but at any rate, what you see from the Maritzchiyot is this distinction between Agadot found in the Bavli that take on the authority of the Bavli and those that do not. Now, there are other distinctions you can make, and I will outline them quickly and then give a few examples. Even when we speak about Agadah, as we noted, different stories in Shas relate to Halakha in different ways. So as we noted, things which are of the, of the kind of stories which are Maaseh Rav, where clearly the point of them is to teach Halakha, despite the fact that it's a story that doesn't affect its Halakhic weight. In fact, it adds Halakhic weight to the position when we know that people practice it, that great members of Chazal didn't just believe this in theory to be true, but actually acted accordingly. Um, the wild-sounding Agadot that don't discuss Halakha at all presumably are the ones that are least likely to be accepted by post-game for the purposes of halakha. However, there are many agadot where the line between halakha and agada is unclear. Uh, Rev. Avram Price, in his introduction to Mishnah Avraham, notes that because shas is meant to be a guide to life, and life is not just about the things that can be easily categorized as law, but includes things like values, pragmatism, and the like. Chazal went out of their way to merge halachic texts and agadic texts to make it that there's a smooth flow from one to the other, and often the agadot that are found in halachic texts will shed light on the rationale for the, for the mitzvot being discussed but that dynamic sometimes makes it complicated to draw the line between something which is halachic and not halachic. And often, the Gemara seems to take Agadic statements and integrate them in halachic context. In such a case, even a posaic who might be less likely or less willing in general to accept Agadot as uh, as halachic text when the Bavli itself seems to integrate the Agadic statement into its debate of halacha as a proof one way or the other that points in the direction that this agada straddles the line between halacha and agada and in fact can be treated as halacha often as well in agadot one's not deriving halacha directly from the story but from the underlying, the underlying assumptions of what the people do in the story. Meaning, the stories record certain incidents, and the people in the stories are following halachic positions or performing activities which have halachic implications. And even if the story is clearly a non-halachic story, perhaps one can tease out halacha from 
the evidence that the Agadah provides as to what people did in the time of Chazal. And I think these create more middle cases where one must be aware of the fact that even if you're reticent, even if a posig is reticent to accept Agadah per se, it, often the stories in the Agadah do provide a level of evidence as to what was happening in the time of Chazal, and that can also push for an underst- a particular understanding of what the halacha is or should be. So to give several examples in which some of these complex dynamics play out in, in shall we say, recent chuvot, um, let me highlight just a few uh, important cases. Um, one fascinating issue that was debated by 20th century poskim was the question of whether it is permitted to pray for sick people in excruciating pain to die if the people prefer death to life. Normally, obviously, we do everything we can to extend people's life. But what if we see that someone doesn't want to live? They don't want to eke out another week or two of their life if those weeks are going to be lived in agony, and they would rather die. Are you allowed? Obviously, we can't shorten their life actively. But can you... Daven to God, where obviously you're not actively involved, you're just beseeching God, and God will make the final decision, is that permitted? And here, the modern post scheme turned to a Gemara, which discusses Rebbe's death. And at the end of, Reb, of Rebbe's life, he was in extreme pain, and in such pain that the while the Rabbanim were davening to save his life, Rebbe's maidservant davened that she that he should die. From here, Ramosha Feinstein, basing himself on Iran, derives that it is in fact permitted to pray for a person in extreme agony to die. Um, accepting the activity of Rebbe's maidservant as, hal- as a halachic source. So here you see a modern case in which Ramosha Feinstein is willing to accept an Agadah for halachic purposes. However, it's fascinating to note that he does this despite the fact that there are many reasons to look at this Agadah and, and contend that it should not have halachic valence. So for example, the entire framing of this Agadai is particularly fantastic. It describes that even after Revi died, he used to return every Friday night to make Kiddush for his family. The Gemara also explains that his suffering was sui generis and described how his screams could be heard miles away even after the, the ruckus of countless animals eating and braying. And if one read this story, one could have accepted in theory that you can read Agadai, but say maybe you can only perhaps a bit facetiously, daven for someone to die. If he's not really going to die, he's going to be the type of person who has the schut that he will be zocha to some sort of every Friday night to come back in Kiddush. Or maybe that Agadah is limited to cases in which someone is so in so much pain that his screams can be heard miles away. Meaning, even if one is open to the possibility that Agadah can be used for halachic purposes, at least when there's no contradictory evidence, 
this particular Agadah has elements in it which point to the fact that it's a bit surreal and perhaps that would have pushed against the, um, our, the possibility that this is halachic. And, and in fact, um, the Tzitzel Yezer as the, and Reb Vosner both reject Ramosha's conclusion. And in fact, um, the Tzitzel Yezer notes that as the Gemara describes it, there was a machloket going on. Rebbe was Rebbe's maidservant was the one uh, advocating, as it were, to God to let him die. But the Chachamim were davening for him to live, and Rebbe's maidservant had to distract them so that they would stop davening. And therefore, the Tzitzeliezer argues that even within the context of the Agadah, first he says, I don't want to accept the Agadah for halachic purposes, but he says, even if you would like to accept it for halachic purposes, there are multiple actors in that story. There's Rebbe's maidservant who thinks it is legitimate to daven for Rebbe to die in extreme ag- if he's in extreme agony and he would rather die than live. But the Chachamim clearly did not believe that. And therefore, even if you want to accept the story when you're dealing with a story like this, which is not written in halachic context, even once you are willing to accept it for halachic purposes, the conclusion that you draw is unclear because without the clear-cut discussion of halachic text, we don't know if there's... A, exactly a machloket, but we see that there were different attitudes and we don't know whether that reflected a different understanding of the mitziyut, a different understanding of the halacha. And this incident, I think, highlights, is a good example to highlight the complexity, both of whether or not one should accept Agadah. If you do accept Agadah, which types of Agadah will you accept? And furthermore, um, what lesson will you even derive from the Agadah considering the fact that it's hard to often derive what a halachic conclusion would, li- would look like in, uh, in Agadah. In a different context, the Tzitzel Yezer, uh, who in, in the case of davening for people to pass away, was not willing to accept the Agadah. Um, in other examples, he is. So, for example, the Gemara writes that Yehoshua was criticized and punished for preventing Puravu for one night during a war, during a war during the time of Kibush Haaretz. Now, without getting into that entire story, um, the Tzitzel uses that line to prove that there's no prohibition to be intimate with one's spouse during wartime, despite the fact that there are indications in the Gemara that there may be a prohibition during famine. And the Tzitzel argues that the, the prohibition does not extend to wartime based on the, the statement of Yoshua. Now here, I believe that perhaps the reason that the Tzitzel is more willing to entertain this Agadah for halachic purposes when he didn't in the previous case is because he's not quite using the Agadah per se um, he's using the fact that the Gemara assumes as a reality that under normal circumstances people should be allowed to be intimate during wartime and therefore Yoshua was criticized for preventing it. It's not the Agadah per se from which he's deriving as a lachin conclusion but the assumption behind the ability of the Gemara to make its Agadic statements. And there, again, I think that is another gray Area where the question isn't quite, am I able to derive halacha from Agada? Uh, the question is, can I note the assumptions upon which the Agadata is working 
and use that to prove what the halacha probably is as a gili milta, as a revelation, as an explanation or an indication of what the facts are rather than as a direct halachic uh, text. Similar issues come up in the modern discussions about IVF um, and parenthood in IVF um, focusing on the Agadot that Yirmiyahu conceived uh, Ben Sira uh, in the bathtub because of an accidental um, ejaculation into the, the bathtub and that was the basis of Ben Sira's uh, birth from which the postgim debate whether you can use that as a, as a proof for the ability to fulfill Purvu using, using IVF uh, and the like. Certain postkim there rejected using this Agadita for evidence at all, such as Rav Uziel, um, while others, such as Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Yosef, are willing to bring this agada into discussion um, to at least point in, uh, in halachic directions. Um, there are obviously many other cases, but just to summarize what we have seen. As we noted, the primary text for practical purposes of halacha is the Bavli. But that forces us to ask, or and more generally, the works of Chazal. And that forces us to ask, what is the role of those texts that are not directly halachic? And as we have seen, there is a range of positions. There are those who say that all Agatic texts, whether in or out of the Bavli, are not halachic, and therefore do not carry that weight, cannot be brought into halachic discussion, and that is the end of the story. You have Poskim who believe that the relevant question to ask is, in which body of text by Chazal is the Agatha found? If it's in the Bavli, so then it is binding because everything in the Bavli has been sifted through and has been recorded to be of that halachic caliber. And that is the position of people like the Maritz Chiyot. Others say that Agadah, wherever it is found, can in fact have halachic implications, but only if it does not contradict the halacha, or the principles of halachic reasoning in the Bavli. Um, and then I noted, even though this does not appear in programmatic statements, but has to be teased out of, uh, of post-game, um, the next questions that you have to ask are, uh, in what cases am I really using Agadita per se as a halachic text? Is it different if I'm deriving Halakha, not from the Agadatah per se, but from the assumptions that are just given in the context of the Agadah. Does it depend on which Agadah we're talking about? Not where it comes from, but how fantastic does it sound? How much literary license has been taken in the framing of the Agadah, which obviously makes it harder to draw firm rules. Um, even if you're willing to accept Agadah, how do you identify the different voices within Agadah when it's not as clear-cut as halachic texts? All of those types of questions complicate uh, the issues, and as we've seen, there is a range of positions on all of these. Um, and furthermore, as we have noted, this is not just a theoretical conversation, but in fact one that is live, and even looking at some major questions in the 20th century, the role of Agadah and how one interprets Agadah and translate, in that, in, translate that into Halachic argumentation is very much a live question with serious halachic implications.